Saul breathing threats and murder. Did you hear that? Breathing threats and murder. To me, it sounded like a scene from Marvel Comics. Relentlessly evil villain in pursuit of incredibly innocent do-gooders is struck down and blinded by a superhero. The villain is a loyal Pharisee who is enraged by the suggestion of Stephen the deacon that God does not belong to the Jews alone, but to everyone. That killing Jesus was the murder of that very Redeemer for whom they, the Jews, had been waiting for millennia. And at this time, so soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the apostles were still in the synagogues. They still thought of themselves as Jews. They still kept Jewish laws and rituals. They still worshipped in the old way with this one little heretical belief in the, in the resurrection of Jesus as the Christ. So when Stephen accused the Sanhedrin of murdering the Redeemer, they stoned him to death in the presence of Saul, an event, an event which launched Saul, breathing threats and murder, against the apostles. And then, and then what? Then comes this conversion experience, this episode of light and falling off the horse and three days of blindness, which some people have said was actually a seizure or an episode of psychological stress. And after that, well, after that, Saul, now called Paul, starts to sound a lot like Stephen, as a matter of fact. Paul, after all, said, there is neither Judean nor Greek, neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for all of you are one in Christ. God belongs to everyone. Sounds like a paraphrase of Stephen. So what happened there, do you think? How is such radical change possible? The author of Acts says that God is using Paul as an instrument of change. And here again is an example of the way God works in unpredicted ways in bringing about reconciliation and newness. But what is it about the conversion of Paul that is so familiar to us all? What is it that is both so incredible and rings so true? It is almost axiomatic that that which we resist most strongly, that that which we deny or criticize or avoid like the plague, is actually that which may be most important to us. How many people have said, I will never, only to find that years later they are doing exactly that and doing it a lot? In fact, this happens all the time, and this kind of experience, this doing what one has always forsworn, leads to a kind of soul confusion, blindness, if you will, and brings people to see priests and therapists and doctors and close friends. Because sometimes we are afraid of what we need to know. We are afraid of what we need to be. So might it be true that Stephen's amazing speech, his insistence that no one has any right to feel closer to God or more belonging to God than anyone else, that the Jewish way to God is not the only way, that these new Christians also had God, touched something which lived deep inside Saul, 
but about which he didn't know. Might it be true that Stephen's zeal, his passion, his freedom, his freedom to say these things touched Saul so deeply that as he was touched, he was opened, he was broken. He became open to the work of God, which he experienced on the road to Damascus. This kind of conversion, this being touched by passion and fervor, is what we come here to have, is it not? Hearing and praying and singing and listening opens us up to new possibilities, opens us up to remembering what really matters to us. The second story, the story of Jesus at the shore, suggests what might happen as a result of that constant conversion. In the boat, not much is going well. And in the radical change from no fish to too many fish, the disciples recognized Jesus. Fishing here is, of course, not just about fishing for food, but about gathering people into the community of believers. Peter, who has recently denied Jesus three times, now has the opportunity to undo that betrayal three times or to undergo conversion. And Jesus seizes the opportunity to tell Peter what conversion will mean. That Peter will not just go around preaching forgiveness and healing sick people, but he will actually go to his death for that conversion. And although nobody tells us what Peter thinks about this, we are led to believe that this conversion is what he's been waiting for since that denial. So there it is again. What Peter begins to do is the opposite of what he has always done, much like Saul. The times of Saul and Peter were difficult for everybody. They were times of extreme political and military pressure, as you know, of cultural and religious upheaval, of shifting social orders, much like today. So it's not surprising that Saul and Peter were ripe for conversion, but I would imagine that nobody would have predicted that Saul would be the foremost proponent of Christianity. I don't think many people would even have thought it worth trying to convert him. Stephen went to his death for trying to do that, after all. And so I think that if there is any hope for our times, it may be found in these two stories. It may be found in the profound experience of Saul who heard the passion and truth in what Stephen said. That day Saul allowed himself to be touched by what he feared and hated. He let it sink all the way in. And it rattled him. It knocked him off balance and blinded him. Peter had a less visible but perhaps more painful experience. It's so hard to bear the times when we betray our loved ones. Something in Peter's experience made him blind. You remember this, right? Just last Sunday, we heard that Peter didn't believe Mary when she told him Jesus was not in the tomb anymore. He was blind. We are blinded and knocked off balance by our prejudices and stereotypes. The good news in these stories is that when we are willing to let ourselves be touched by the passion and plight of others, 
when we are willing to look at our resistance, conversion and communion will be ours. Now more than ever, now more than ever, we hear the breathing of threats and murder, do we not? In the hate speech, in the cold-blooded murder of innocent people, in schools and churches and concert halls, in the racist harassment of people merely by virtue of their skin color. I think that the message in these stories is that belief, and most especially corporate public belief, our belief as a church can change minds, can bring conversion, can give communion. You might not be surprised to hear that I have a special fondness for Stephen. He was the first deacon. And while I don't think that any of us will go to our deaths for what we believe, I like to think that Stephen's spirit and passion run within us and can melt the hearts of hatred. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R. S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for millvalley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.